to me, the whole tech, tech savvy thing is um, really about knowing how to troubleshoot your own issues. And it seems sort of weird, but I found that that is the one thing over the past 10 years or so that has really helped me and and helped me appear to other people to be really tech savvy. It's just kind of knowing how to fix stuff when it goes wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Katie Wardrobe. Katie Wardrobe is a Melbourne-based music technology trainer, consultant, blogger, and podcaster with a passion for helping music teachers through her business, Midnight Music. She runs hands-on professional development workshops throughout Australia and a popular series of online courses. Her workshops and courses focus on incorporating technology into the music curriculum through a range of creative projects. Katie is a qualified teacher and has worked in a variety of music and education-related workplaces, including Sibelius Australia and Orchestra Victoria. She's also worked as a freelance copyist, music arranger, and transcriber for more than 20 years. In 2011, 2013, and 2014, Katie worked as the project manager of the Soundhouse Music Alliance's biannual Music Technology and Education Conference, and she has presented at hundreds of music and education-related conferences and events. She's also known as an expert in the practical integration of iPads in music education, and in 2014 published iPad Projects for the Music Classroom, a collection of step-by-step creative projects for primary and middle school students. In 2016, Katie opened the Midnight Music Community, an online professional development learning space, especially for music teachers using technology. Katie is also the host of the Music Tech Teacher podcast, which was launched in early 2017. I really enjoyed speaking with Katie about all of these different resources that are really helpful to piano teachers. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Thanks again for listening. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Today, we're going to talk about some of your favorite technological resources that cover a lot of different areas that overlap with piano teaching. But before we talk about some of the specific resources that you really like, um, I want to talk kind of more broadly. Although I think the people listening to this podcast probably all have a variety of programs that they'd like to learn more about, and each studio is kind of different. In general, I think a lot of people, myself included, just have like a basic goal that they want to become more tech savvy. So I'm wondering if you have a suggestion of kind of a basic long-term strategy that piano teachers could implement in their maybe daily, weekly schedules to help them achieve that goal. And do you have any suggestions of specific resources that maybe you offer to help to that effect? I think to me, the whole tech savvy thing is um, really about knowing how to troubleshoot your own issues. And it seems sort of weird, but I found that that is the one thing over the past 10 years or so that has really helped me and and helped me appear to other people to be really tech savvy. It's just kind of knowing how to fix stuff when it goes okay. wrong. And it's probably not quite the answer you're expecting. No, that's interesting. I, re- I really do find that it's about knowing how to solve problems. So I found I've got two boys and so they're, they're teenagers and I've really tried very hard to teach them over the years to help themselves when things go wrong. And so they know to go and Google the issue, they know to go to YouTube, they know what to search for, they know all of the checklist of things to go through 
to fix or change things. And I found that that is the tech savvy key to me. It's mm. less about knowing you know, lots of different apps and how to use them. It's kind of like knowing how to get yourself out of trouble. So, um, but also along with that is making a plan for what you want to learn. I think that yeah. it's really good just to have a focus on maybe one or two things that you want to learn over time and to not try and take on too many apps. And there's a lot of stuff always that's going around and you read about things on Facebook or Twitter. I see things at conferences all the time and I get overwhelmed. And I, like, I, yeah. this is my life. I leave this stuff but I really get overwhelmed so picking one or two things is a really good key and then also just learning how to get yourself out of trouble which sounds really it sounds really strange I know but I I found that um, generally speaking a lot of the teachers that I come into contact with as soon as there's something that goes wrong with tech then that is the time where it freaks them out that's the time where people go I hate technology and it's also the time that they tend to just turn to the person nearest to them that is more tech savvy than them. And they'll go, okay, I've got this issue, what do I do? And it's less about that for me than about learning how to be that person for yourself. And um, the way that I ended up being that person for myself is that I left a sort of a more corporate job where there are people on call, you know, there's a support desk and there are IT people employed by the company that you can go to when you've got problems. And suddenly I was out on my own running my own business and I had no one. And I thought, oh, what do I do? Like, what, you know, I've got, I'm not at a school where there's an IT person, I'm not at a company. And I just had to spend time Googling and YouTubing and <laughs> all these verbs that have been verbs now. Just fixing things myself. And that, I think that's what makes me more tech savvy than, you know, the next person in the room because I can kind of find my way out of things. And and when, once you can do that, you are so much more comfortable with technology because everything is less of a big deal. So when things go wrong, people get really worried and stressed about it. But when you know a little bit about getting yourself out of trouble, you can see a problem arise and think to yourself, you know, it's it's okay. It's not that big a deal because I know that if I, probably if I restart the app, restart my laptop, restart the browser, try a different browser, all of these things that I have in a checklist in my head, if I do all of those things, it's probably going to be fine. And so once you get to that point, that's for me when I feel like I'm tech savvy. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, so that that is my recommendation is kind of lean less on other people and try and solve your own issues because then you get really used to it and then you really don't worry so much about things when they go wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> That is so interesting, that idea of that you would recommend troubleshooting and solidifying your knowledge of a few programs as opposed a to programs. learning a ton of sort of so I want to simulate a situation that I assume some of our listeners are in yeah, and see if I would yeah, yeah. could predict what advice you would give so let's say we have a piano teacher who yes let's say we have a piano teacher who sort of has four or five apps that they always use for their lessons um, and they're they sort of want to up their game like maybe there's some iPad apps that they're always using I know you talk about iPads a lot. Your recommendation for a teacher who has a small set of apps that they always use, who wants to kind of up their tech game, would not be necessarily immediately find more apps. It would be make yeah. sure they know everything about the apps that Absolutely. they are using. 
Yes, ah, totally. And I, I actually think that, um, so I think probably with almost all software or apps that, that everybody has on their laptop, on their computer, you know, mm-hmm. iPad, whatever device you're using, I really think that, I mean, it varies app by app and, and what you are used to using on a day-to-day basis, but everybody learns only a very small percentage of any given <laughs> app or software yeah. program. And often I just find, and again, you, you do, you become more tech savvy or you appear more tech savvy or more comfortable in, in yourself with the technology when you know that thing more thoroughly. So so I do, like, uh, you know, even basic things like Microsoft Word or, I, I mean, I use Google Docs mostly now for word processing, but even that, just spending a little bit of time, like if I've got some time to kill, not really ever happens, but whatever, just going through menus and searching and looking at features and thinking, you, taking that time to go, what what does that button do? Like I've seen yeah. this button seven million times when I've used this app on a day-to-day basis and what does that do? And things like, um, I mean, we'll probably talk more about sort of specific apps later down the track, but Fourscore, you know, on the iPad for score reading. I use that all the time. Fantastic app. Fantastic app. So I was talking to a couple of other um, choir conductors that I, you know, was chatting to the other day and we were I just said in passing you know I I love the fact that you can just you know put the backing track into the score and you've got it handy there and you can just play it while you're reading your score along and of course out of three people that I'm talking to two of them went you wait what you can you can do that and they've been using I have to be completely honest that is what I was thinking I didn't want to interrupt you but that is exactly what I was saying I didn't know you could do that with four score and I I use four score all the time (laughs) <laughs> See, now you, now that you know this, once mm-hmm. you go and work out how to do it, it's really easy. Um, it is a kind of a bit of a hidden feature, I have to say, but once yeah. you know how to do that, you are going to appear really tech savvy to the next person that comes along that's been using Fourscore for three years and did not know that you could embed a backing track into your score. <laughs> I've been using it more than three years. I'm almost ashamed, okay? <laughs> Well, this goes right. to your point that you need to like really be sure you know what you're doing. This reminds me of one uh, class I took on Finale with this Broadway conductor oh. who's very famous for his f- classes on Finale. And what he said he did to learn it was he just went through the menu and clicked on every possible thing he could click I, on yeah. and just went down one menu at a time. And that's how he learned Finale. <laughs> Yeah, and I, um, I I actually do that with every app and every software program I use. I go through every menu mm-hmm. item and not to remember them at that time, but just to glance at them and go, oh, I, yeah. I think I might need that later. Like I'll know that it's there when I get to right. it. Okay, well, today I did want to talk about some specific resources, and it's possible that a lot of what you're going to say will be new resources to some of our listeners. So we do want to plant that flag and make that caveat that Although we want to be aware of all the different resources, including many of the ones we're going to talk about today, beyond the new resources we talk about today, also for our listeners, they could very much consider looking more into the programs they already use, as is evidenced by me not knowing that you can play backing tracks with Fourscore. Who knew? (laughs) Um, I use iReal Pro as my go-to app when I want backing tracks, but I have not explored Yeah, just to have it there as a reference. It's great. It's fantastic. So first one I want to talk about is Google Slides. I've seen you talk about this in several instances, including on your podcast. Um, This can be a great resource to create your own games. And specifically, um, I really liked the episode of your podcast on Escape the Room. Um, I've used that once or twice in my studio, but not as much as I could. Can you talk a little bit about Google Slides? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a great resource for creating your own teaching materials. So a lot of people default at first to Word or Google Docs, you know, plain word processor to create um, teaching materials and games and that sort of thing. But you're much better off using something like Google Slides and it could be PowerPoint or Keynote on a Mac as well. But Google Slides, is it's just a little bit easier to share. But the, the idea with Google Slides is that you can design things in such a way that you can move things freely around on the canvas on your slide but also the linking the interlinking between slides from slide to slide and also externally to other websites as well just gives you so much flexibility uh, sorry, I have a naive question. What do you mean by interlinking between slides? So yeah, so you can link. So and this is where that escape room activity um, really takes advantage of this. So from slide one, where you might have a picture of a room, actually a room, you might have something on that picture which is a hyperlink. So you you select an image on that picture and you say I want to link that that little item in my picture to slide number three, where there's an activity that the students are going to do. So so the initial picture picture might be you could have a picture let's say of your piano studio and in that picture you might add a link to the music that's on top of the piano and so when the student clicks on that music it's going to take them straight to slide three where there's an activity that they're going to do so this interlinking between slides it, you can just get really creative with how you apply it and set up some fantastic activities for your students but but it can be used in so many ways and I think it's really good to see examples. So that escape room idea, essentially the escape room works that you've got this initial picture and then students sort of, the theory is, the story behind it is they've got to escape the room by solving puzzles or doing activities and then in the end they escape the room and there's a prize or whatever it is you want them to achieve at the end. But but this idea is fantastic because it gives everything a theme and it kind of ties all these activities that you might already be doing with students together. So it might be a note naming activity or, um, I don't know, the notes of the base staff mm -hmm. or something like that that they've got to do. And it's a great way to present worksheets in a, a more exciting way. Yeah. If I could throw for a piano teacher specifically, one resource I use a lot for Google Slides is uh, uh, Nicola Canton's A Vibrant Music Teaching. If you become a member, although I think you can access this even not as a member, there is a whole discussion board where they take all of kind of some of her board games and adapt it to Google Slides. And so yeah, now with my online lessons, I have a huge, massive inventory of games all um, on Google Slides. I have not done Escape the Room, uh, as you're describing. I believe Leela Viss, who I recently had on the podcast, on her website has a few Escape the Rooms run with Google Slides, but I'm going to have to look into that more, and all of our listeners can listen to your podcast on yeah. Escape the Room. Yeah, and my tip with that is to find someone else's first so that you can see the mechanics of it working, and you kind of have to think of a story. Um, I'll be honest, they're, they're a little bit time-consuming to put together, but once you've done okay. one, you can then use it as a template. Okay. <laughs> That's my theory with Great. everything. Use templates. <laughs> okay, next uh, resource I want to talk about is teaching composition. Um, so I always in my studio, I'm obsessed with teaching composition. Um, and sometimes I find with my beginner students that if I have them compose just at the piano, not being aided by technology, it's very hard to come up with something that they really find like musically exciting. So beyond kind of the notation programs like MuseScore and NoteFlight, there are a lot of fun programs and apps that actually like aid in the composition process itself and help create, help students create music that sounds more fully fleshed out and 
you have this really helpful catalog that I'm going to uh, try to include a link to in the show notes uh, called Ultimate Free Music Tech Resources Guide that kind of goes through some of these. And we don't have to we don't have time to go through all of them comprehensively. But can you talk about some of your favorite programs and apps to help in creating music? Yeah, so I think um, for me, it's a, a great place to start is by allowing students to use some pre-made elements to put into their compositions. And then, of course, the aim ultimately is that they're going to be creating things from scratch. So you can start off, though, with them using a pre-made drum pattern, for instance, and then they're just going to add a simple bass line over the top. And that might be the basis for them improvising some melody or chords on top of that. So using some elements of pre-made things is really good. So rhythms or little little bass lines that are already made and then getting students to build on top of them, but with the view to eventually taking the crutch away and getting them to compose completely from scratch. So I really like things um, on a very, very simple level. And this is not composing at all, but putting together existing existing uh, snippets of music, uh, things like Incredibox, which is a really fun website and iPad app. And you, there's some dudes on the screen. If you've ever seen this, people will know if they've seen it, they'll know what I'm talking about. There's some guys on the screen and you drag a little icon to the dude and he starts beatboxing or singing whatever pattern it is that you've dragged onto him. And you can build up these pre-made patterns and in this essence, you're actually arranging really. You're arranging, or I call it remixing sometimes, just make it sound a bit more cool, but you're arranging at that point. But at least there are still some decisions that students are making from a compositional point of view because they're choosing you know, to have contrasting parts together and maybe not all percussive parts. You wanna have percussive plus a bass line plus a melodic part. And then you can move on from that to other things like the Chrome Music Lab, which is a fantastic set of I think I think there's 13 or 14 different tools now but the one the main one that everybody uses is called the song maker and it's a a really colorful um, step sequencer it's like a grid you click on the grid to add sounds and then it plays back for you but it's just a really simple way to get composing because students are using really just melodic contour and you can see pictures being up or down and moving you know moving by step or by leap and it's just a great really really simple great way to get started lots of fantastic examples of Chrome Music Lab song maker compositions on YouTube. If you just look that up on mm. YouTube, you'll see all these examples. I've done some like, I've created the Cantina band from Star Wars in the song maker. So you can do sort of longer pieces of music, but it took a long time to put it together. <laughs> but so much fun. And again, students can, they could maybe start by just recreating something they know and then changing it somehow to vary it or create something from scratch. Maybe you give them a baseline that they just manually put in and then they're going to create a, oh, a melody to go with that over the top. So I like this idea of helping them out with some parts of the compositional process and then getting them to add to it. And then eventually they're, they're sort of going from scratch. But um, other ones that I, I'll mention just briefly, um, for drum patterns alone, there's a, a thing called Groove Pizza, which is a circular pattern shape and students build up a, a drum pattern using a circle and you add three sounds. So there's like a, a bass drum sound, a hi-hat sound and a snare drum yeah. sound. Really simple to use. And again, it's just they're clicking on a, you know, clicking dots on the, the circle to create their sound. So much fun. I could imagine that also being used as a very fun alternative to a metronome. So rather yes. than just 
giving them the metronome, letting the student with this app you're describing create their own drum beat and then use the drum beat they just composed as the exactly. metronome. Yeah, I've suggested that lots in workshops and it's been such a great thing. Even, um, you know, the choir that I um, conduct, you know, for warm-ups and that sort of thing, you can do it with their scales, with their technical work, uh, warm-up patterns and things like that. Just make a drum pattern and play along. And again, you can, like, change the tempo. You can make it really slow. So if they need to, they can they can slow things down. But um, the other – the things I would move on to after those as sort of a basic starting point are – apps like Soundtrap and BandLab and GarageBand. So all three of those are really GarageBand is the one I use the most. Yeah, and so if you're not on iPad or Mac, you know, Mac-related products, so um, you might be able to use GarageBand, but Soundtrap and BandLab are fantastic alternatives and those are great, great places to start. So again, they could use something that's in the loop library as a starting point and then build on that. So um, even just creating like, you know, the four chord pattern that everybody uses, the one, five, six, four chord pattern, <laughs> that, you know, axis of awesome. Every, it's done to death, I know, but super useful. Kids could just create that in a keyboard part and then add a bass line to it and add a drum part to it and then create a melody over the top. And, you know, there's thousands of songs you can use as examples that use that same chord pattern, but as a, a great starting point, yeah, I think I think those are the ones. Those three apps I would highly recommend just for any teacher to even learn how to use. Um, in addition, so notation software and these apps are the ones that I really think are part of your basic tech repertoire because you yourself can create backing tracks using yeah. those apps. You can record your students in lessons. You can record yourself demonstrating things for students. You can, I don't know, the endless uses for them. So just fabulous, fantastic, lots of fun. Yeah, uh, I really like how all of these apps, as you said, they give you a pre-made loop and you, it, it guarantees that it's going to sound musically satisfying kind of no matter what you pick. Yeah. I mean, in my experience trying to teach composition, a lot of my students sort of, you've got one shot to try composition with them. And if they have an initial experience where it doesn't sound good, then all the walls go up and they never want to do composition again and they're very resistant. So when you get them started with these tech programs, like all of the ones that you're mentioning, it's a great way to kind of build their confidence and have them think, oh, I can create something that sounds good, even yeah, if absolutely. some of the grunt work was done apart from them. Yeah. And seeing things demonstrated, you know, in the app as well, you can just use it as a, a study point. Like you can look at things that are created in the app already and go, oh, I love the way the, the baseline does this right. in that, that particular loop and then use that as a point. I, I grew up thinking yeah. composition was this thing that you were supposed to have artistically inside you and that it was going to come out and it was a natural thing. And if you weren't born with that, well, too bad. And it's taken me yeah. till, you know, in my 40s to realise actually it can be a learnt thing. <laughs> like you can actually sit down and, and actually develop your skills in this area. Like, of course, like anything else in life. And, you know, it can be lots of fun to open that up for students that might not consider themselves composers. Absolutely. Okay, shifting gears now to a different area um, where technology is obviously very helpful, is the administrative and kind of marketing side of piano teaching. As far as building a brand and marketing a piano studio, one great resource that you've spoken a lot about is Canva. Can you talk about Canva and how that might oh, be of yeah. use to piano teachers? 
totally obsessed with Canva. <laughs> so, yeah, I've used it for many years. And uh, when it first came out, I started using it when it, it was invitation only at first. And um, interestingly, it's a company that's run by Australians. So it, I've always had this sort of affinity with it. And it's just a fantastic design tool. And I think people don't realise, you know, you can design marketing materials in something like Google Slides. You can use that because you've got freedom to move elements around on the page and add colours and shapes and images and, and whatever. But the thing that Canva, it sets it apart really is that they have this amazing, huge library of elements that you can use in your design. So you don't need to spend time Googling for a picture of a piano or a picture of a music stand or a microphone everything's already in Canva and there's illustration versions or there are photographic versions. So you can just find everything in there and you can just put them in your design. It's right there. There's a lot of other benefits of using Canva too. There's a whole range of fonts in there, for instance, and it's just so much fun. And they, they keep adding new features all the time. Actually, I ended up putting together a course last year, which was just for teachers generally, not necessarily music teachers, but how to create teaching materials like posters and flyers and promotional videos for your concert that might be coming up or worksheets and other things like that. And since that course ran, there's already been a whole host of new features. I'm about to run it again, so I'm about to redo a whole stack of videos, which is the biggest drawback about running a, a tech-based um, you know, business. <laughs> I keep having to redo things when apps yeah. update. But but it's just so fantastic. They, they've just got an amazing array of things. And I, I should just mention, because a lot of people don't realise, they, they have a free version and a pro version, but teachers can get access to pretty much the same as the pro version at no cost. So when you sign up, if you haven't already, um, you can go, if you just search for Canva for education, you'll get to that, that place where you sign up um, for an account. You need to prove that you're a teacher. So um, they, they have approved studio teachers, a, a, a sort of private instrumental teachers kind of think, oh, I need to be at a school. But I, I do know a number of people who have managed to get approved and you just need to show that you're a teacher and then you get access to their pro elements, which are normally an extra cost, and lots of other things in the in the program. Oh my goodness! This is my second mind blown <laughs> moment of this interview. The first one was with Foursquare. I didn't know that. Wait, okay, I'm gonna yeah, wait, definitely what? do this. Yes, I what I do for Canva. I use Canva for. Um, uh, marketing this podcast like on my Instagram and I use the regular one and then my web developer has Canva Pro and so I'm always messaging her asking her to do stuff. I didn't uh, know that as a teacher you could get Canva Pro You for can free. totally get it, yeah. So you just got to go through the steps and um, I will give you this one tip because I because I was running this course last year, I had you know a few hundred people all applying for the Canva for Education uh, account at the same time and the thing that we realised was that when you've applied... Uh, they don't announce to you, you have been granted the education account. It just appears in your account. So when you log in to your account, um, you either have access to the pro features or you don't. And the way that you need to go into your like account settings and just check what type of account you have. So yeah. when you start out, your account type will say free account, Canva free. That's and then what mine says. When you've, yeah, and when you've been granted the education one, when you log in and go into your, your profile and everything, it will say Canva for education. And we were waiting for this email announcement. So some of them were saying to me, oh, I've applied, but I haven't heard back from them yet. 
And then we realized, like, it just magically happens without oh, you necessarily you. knowing. Oh. <laughs> they don't tell you. So if you have applied and you're waiting, like endlessly waiting for weeks to get approved, you may actually be approved. Go in and check your account and see what, what account type it says. Um, but that, yeah, that was the only thing I, I found was a little bit uh, confusing. I think it was just because they were getting so many applications, they probably didn't have the capacity to, to confirm via email. But it's just great. Um, they, they had a few features which did not match up with the pro so as an educator you didn't get um, access at first to the ability to download designs with the transparent background which everybody wanted to do Um, but they have added that now so lots of teachers were really like yes I forget what it's called but I've also seen you in one of your uh, sources you recommended a website that exactly does that like you upload a picture and it makes the background transparent I forget which one it's called BG. So if you're yeah. not using Canva, you can use that. So in the we were you know getting people to create their design in Canva, but then download it and then upload it to that other website to get the transparent background. But now you can just press the button inside Canva and it's all good. That's great. Fantastic features, yeah. So I love Canva. I mean, there's just so so much so much stuff in Canva that is so useful. And um, in addition to all the elements, I will say the other big thing is the template. So you know, you would know that when you're posting to Instagram, you need a square shaped image of a certain number of mm-hmm. pixels, whatever by whatever mm-hmm. pixels. And on Facebook, yes, you I need this the hard a way. different, yeah, you need a different type of shape for your Facebook page cover picture. Then you need a different shape on Facebook for your post images. And then you need another shape again for the event images. And you need something else for Twitter. And the, every social media platform has very specific requirements. And if you get them wrong, your image looks really bad. I mean, we've all tried this, you upload it, it's all distorted or pixelated and horrible. So in Canva, (laughs) you just look for the template which says Facebook event image or Twitter post or Instagram post and it will instantly give you the right dimensions and it will look good no matter what you do. So it's such a time saver. I used to have a list of all of those dimensions uh, before Canva came along so that I could create them in different programs. But thank goodness, don't need to do that anymore. Just click the button in Canva. Yes. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Yes, I can absolutely vouch for that. I have tried to make the dimensions work myself. And if you do it manually, it takes forever. Because as you said, everything is different. Even within the same app, like Instagram, it's different dimensions. If you do it in your Instagram story versus your Instagram feed. I mean, it's just, but it's so easy in Canva. And they change year by year. So there's a social media sort of marketing uh, person. I can't remember her name, but every year she has a massive list of all the dimensions of all the different platforms and she has to update it every single year because <laughs> sure. they change so frequently it's ridiculous right. uh, okay yeah. so earlier um i was simulating uh, the attitude of one of our <laughs> listeners i want to simulate now a second type of listener um and see what you would advise so i think there's a lot of uh i mean everyone at some point i assume um, had to do some form of online teaching at least during the beginning part of the pandemic when it was a pure lockdown. By this point, what I've heard a lot of teachers say, and is definitely the case in my studio, is that many families have sort of grown attached to the convenience of online teaching <laughs> and kind of want to stay online even uh, after post-pandemic. So I think there's a lot of teachers who sort of are thinking, okay, now I'm going to be teaching online for the long run, at least to some extent sort of what now? And I think a lot of them know the basics of Zoom. They know about original sound, maybe about automatically adjusting microphone volume. But do you have any suggestions of kind of 
going beyond the basics and for teachers who want to really do the best they can with teaching online and take that to the next level? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this question because um, even though I say, you know, don't take on too many new things from a tech point of view, like really make use of what you've got, there's also a point at which there are things that you just may not know about which are going to make your life so much better and so much easier and also the experience of your students as well. And there's a couple of things in this category, particularly with uh, regard to live online teaching or streaming, um, which are kind of two separate things. So the the first thing, I'm going to say three things here. So Ben was kind enough to send me this question ahead of time, so I did get a chance to think about it. But I'm going to talk about three things. So one is upgrading gear if you haven't already. And you don't need to spend thousands of dollars, but just upgrading a mic, like getting an external microphone to plug into your laptop rather than using the inbuilt microphone. Right. That's just For like sure. one really simple thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to cost a lot. You can spend a hundred dollars and you know get something pretty decent. Um, and you need to really think about what type of microphone that is. So there are microphones that pick up sound from all around or just directly in front of the microphone. And yeah, and it, we've both got mics here, which are fantastic. And so if you need to pick up the sound of your your piano or your keyboard that you're using, which is sort of room sound, you're going to need a, a certain type of mic as opposed to just, I'm talking into a directional mic right now where I only need to pick up my voice. So um, for piano teachers, you've got a little added um, level of difficulty because you may need two microphones picking up different things, but but just level up the microphone. And um, in sort of the same area, getting some kind of tri really decent tripod uh, with an overhead camera if if that's what you need to do to show your hands when you're teaching. I've just found, I'm going to buy one of these, I've just found a tripod which looks amazing. I've got a, a regular camera tripod which works fine, like you know you stick whatever camera it is onto your tripod and angle it over your desk or your keyboard or whatever you're trying to show online yeah. and plug that in. Now I have been using my webcam for this purpose and it's super light. Yep, Ben's got one, and I'll describe visually yeah. so everyone that I know. Yeah, because it's an audio only podcast. like a gooseneck, yeah, gooseneck tripod. Yeah, but I've considered I've got, upgrading to a full-blown tripod because this is, I don't know, the gooseneck yeah, is, it, eh, because, it and, doesn't and go and out far enough. To, yeah, and it comes down to your own annoyance level, right? You know, like I get annoyed when things aren't just sitting correctly or sitting properly or I've got to fiddle with yeah. it every single time or right. it doesn't stay in position, you know. Mm -hmm. So using a regular camera tripod, I, I didn't realise until a few years ago that the the screw end part of the tripod is a standard fitting for DSLR cameras and for webcam cameras and for... Um, mounts that you might buy for your iPhone, all of that is standard. So you can use your regular tripod that you might have already for your camera that you use to take photos of your family. Use that over the top of your pano, just angle it correctly and screw on your webcam oh. that you might have because that's nice and light. And so when you've got it angled over the top of your piano, you, you don't want to necessarily put a heavy DSLR camera on there and then it's going to be tipping yeah. over all the time. I've yeah, got a little Logitech a webcam, webcam. Yeah, and you can screw Oh, yeah, I use a Logitech cool. also, yeah. Logitech, yeah, fantastic one. But um, I did see a new uh, tripod which looks amazing and it's, um, an, uh, it's going to be hard to describe, but it's an Arcon brand, A-R-K-O-N. And it's I can link got to it in the show notes. Of, yeah, it's got lots of joints. So when you see it, you, you've got lots of um, 
ball joints that you can angle in all sorts of ways and it's got a really heavy base or a clamp you can buy it with a clamp if you want to screw it onto a desk but it looks so good so and the re- the way I found this is through some artists that I was watching on YouTube and some uh, chefs because people making cooking videos and videoing their art being created like drawing and painting also need to film overhead shots of of what they're doing and so these are great people to look at on YouTube like how do they make their videos same for piano teachers you know doing live streaming or doing video work for the for the students so so those sorts of things I would I would do I do want to mention though two other things which I think uh, maybe are not um, people are not necessarily aware of and that is software that can really help you run your sessions and this is really from an audio point of view helping you manage all the audio so the issue that we all have is that when you're delivering a lesson through zoom or some other method uh, you need to share the audio of your own voice the audio from your instrument and often the audio from a backing track or a youtube video and all of those things there's a lot of fiddly stuff that goes on for in order for you to do that. So you need to plug in microphones for your voice and your instrument. You need to click the share screen button to share your YouTube video or share audio. And, you know, there's lots of options there. But I I started using software called Loopback. And there's a this is a Mac-only product, but the equivalent for PC is Black Hole, I understand. I haven't used it, but apparently that's um, PC one. But this is a fantastic way of setting up like... It's like a virtual kind of soundboard where you decide all the th- all the sources of audio that you want to share in your session and you decide where they're going out to, which would be out to Zoom, for instance. And you have complete control over all the different volume levels of those different things. So uh... I love it. So when I run a live webinar once a month, this is how I control all the audio. And it allows me to share more audio options than just the Zoom inbuilt options will allow me to. So I can share audio from GarageBand on my Mac or Sibelius on my Mac. I can also share the audio from a YouTube video, which happens to be in a Chrome browser. I can share the audio from Spotify that I might have open on my laptop as well. I can share the audio from a video that I have sitting in a Keynote file. I can share the audio from my voice and from any other microphone that I've got plugged in and I can have all of these audio sources in the same session and they're all just shared through this one software program. So totally life-changing and yes, there's a cost involved for the Mac version at least. I think Black Hole might be free, Uh, but it's really, for me, it's been worth, it was worth spending $99 or whatever it was because it just solved so many issues it was just yeah. an investment my business bought it sold all these issues happy to pay the money take my money i think that would <laughs> that really help said. me um I've, I've i'm thinking like for myself i often try to share my ipad into zoom and i found when i try to share my ipad it is so loud and i have no ability to yeah the volume buttons don't make a difference and it's not loud for my students it's just loud for me for you i think Luke you back could totally my, do that yeah, i'm sure my, that yes yeah. i haven't tested i've just um, got a new iPad, very happy to say, the brand new one, which is amazing. Uh, but I, I need to test the iPad through Loopback and through with all the other things that I'm sharing as well because I think that would be would be really great. Can I mention one more thing in this category? Yeah. Live streaming. So live streaming, you know, 
as opposed to teaching a lesson where you might be using um, Zoom to teach the lesson or, or Skype or whatever it is, um, live streaming is really useful for when you're broadcasting one to many. So let's say you were doing an end of year concert program. So you've got lots of parents who want to tune in at a certain time and you've got students who are maybe either playing live or you've got videos of them playing and you just want to broadcast them at a certain time. You know, um, the The thing that's a great help there is to use live streaming software and I use a free I use a free option I do have a paid one as well but I'm currently using this free one called StreamYard I have ended up upgrading just for a couple of extra features that the upgraded version um, offers but you can use the free one for sure and StreamYard allows you to have you on the screen, your screen sharing view, you can have a guest come in and you can really easily switch between the view, the different views of things that you want to show in your session. So it's kind of like you're running your own TV studio in a way and you just click a button like I bring my live webinars, I have my friend Amy who helps me moderate and so on. She'll pop on at the beginning and then I'll say goodbye to her and it's just me on the screen and then I share my screen and then sometimes I have picture in picture where there's me plus my screen share sometimes it's just the screen on its own and it just makes it a lot easier so I you hook it up to your YouTube account and broadcast out to YouTube but you're using StreamYard as the yeah the conduit I suppose I tried to do that once with OBS OBS I was gonna say OBS is another option or Ecamm Ecamm Live which is the one I've got for Mac as well but yeah those those sorts of things again it's it's a ne definitely a next level thing. It's totally not required, but it will really lift your game. It just gives you more options and more flexibility and control over things. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I love those. Great options. <laughs> yeah, great. Excellent. Okay, so before we go, um, obviously we didn't have time today to remotely cover even a fraction of the full <laughs> set of resources that you've talked about um, and written about. Can you give our listeners a sense of kind of what you're up to now and what resources you offer and how everyone listening can learn more about you? I have, yeah, I have lots of free resources. And um, so every month I do run a, a free live webinar and it's a variety of topics that I cover in that. Um, I, I try to sort of make it useful for a range of different types of music teachers. So lots of general music teachers come along, band, orchestra, chorus, and yeah. um, some, you know, instrumental private sort right. of studio teachers as well. Um, but in a, so there's, you can either catch up with the latest free one that's coming up the next month or there's a whole heap of recordings which you can access through my website and we'll put some links in the show notes. But, um, mm -hmm. So that's free. Uh, the ultimate free tech resources guide that you mentioned, I just I started putting that together a number of years ago, maybe like 10 yeah, years ago now. Yeah, that is quite an amazing document. Every, we're just about to do the next one. So it'll come out in June. And actually the topic of my June free webinar is going to be free tech resources. I'll talk about things that I've discovered over the past 12 months or so. Um, but in addition to that, I have, a, I have a private community where people join and they get access to my paid courses. So the Canva course that I mentioned, and um, I just put together the, the biggest, oh my gosh, it just took forever to do, but uh, video creation for music teachers. So I made a whole course about how to make your own videos because so many people were wanting to make montage videos and virtual choir type videos or virtual mm. ensemble type videos and 
things like play along videos, really popular at the moment. So each module covers a different one of those items. And uh, yeah, that went ahead in, um, the course is just available all on year, ongoing all year round, but we, we launched it in January and I was exhausted. <laughs> it took a lot, a lot of hours to put that together. <laughs> but yeah, lots of fun. So they're the main sort of things going and, on at the moment. And also the podcast. And the podcast, yeah, I forgot about Oh, the podcast. I, I need to make some episodes at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm about to record some more of it. Yeah, that's been fantastic. It's, um, it's, I love podcasts personally and I really enjoy kind of following them and also, you know, getting involved with making. There's more and more music teachers who are making their own podcasts, which is so good to see. And everybody has a different voice and a different thing to offer in their podcast. So it's just really lovely to, to see so many going on at the moment. Well, I think everyone, TJ, should be so thankful to you and the resources you <laughs> offer. And I have to say, just personally, I mean, I've listened to quite a few episodes of your podcast, and it has made so many things that previously were very difficult much easier. So I really oh, appreciate all the work you do. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. If you have any feedback about the episode you just heard or about the podcast in general, feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. Thank you.